Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, this is Shep Hyken on Amazing Business Radio on CBS and Play It. And I am excited today because we have an amazing guest, Gene Bliss. Gene is the original chief customer officer. That's right. She's a pioneer of that role. And she held it in companies like Land's End, Microsoft, Coldwell Banker, Allstate, and a number of other companies. And she reported directly to the CEOs of this company. She helped guide, uh, really, the customer experience in these companies. So, Gene, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. It's so fantastic to be here with you. And I am excited that you're here because you and I kind of drink the same Kool-Aid. There's no doubt about that. I've known about you, gosh, for a long time. I remember your first book that you wrote, which I believe was The Chief Customer Officer. Is that right? It was. It was the guidebook I wish I had had when I was doing all those jobs, pushing the rock up the hill. So I felt like I needed to write it for other people. I love that. Pushing the rock up the hill. <laughs> and, and, and you're, you know, Chef five feet tall, and it's because it's been falling on my head all these years. Oh, wow. Well, you look taller in your photographs. <laughs> so, And you've just written a new book, The Chief Customer Officer, or CCO 2.0, which we'll talk about in a little while. But why don't you give our listeners a little background on who you are and where you came from and how this all happened? Okay. Well, thanks. I am... Um Really lucky for the path of my life and in, in personal matters as well as business. I'm the daughter of a man who owned a Buster Brown shoe store, and I, as did my other six brothers and sisters, sat at this man's knee and watched him serve people and take care of them, so much so that when he retired, a line of people three blocks long stood to say goodbye to him. It was just this fantastic upbringing around service and, and taking care of human lives and being part of their life. And I was really fortunate because I got my start in business at Land's End, um, which is a catalog company in the middle of a Wisconsin farmland. And uh, we were growing 20 to 60% a year. And I was part of building that business. I, I really was focused on the customer and customer's lives and decided to take that on the road. And then so for the next 25 years after that, as you mentioned, I deliberately moved from one industry to another to keep adding to my kit bag, to keep trying to figure out how do I embed this customer focus, this growth strategy into a lot of different businesses. So I went from Land's End to the automotive industry on purpose because I wanted to kind of figure out a different business model. Um, then I went to the um, B2B, business to business, to Coldwell Banker Corporation. I wanted to run the field but also manage that B2B relationship. Then I knew I needed to jump into a bigger pool, so I went to Allstate and was uh, in charge of all of customer satisfaction for them, and finally knew that technology had to be part of my kit bag. So I went to a little place called Microsoft, and I was the general manager of worldwide customer and partner loyalty, and uh, did that till all of that stuff <laughs> till 2002, and um, then wrote that first book because I really wanted to help people organize this work so that they didn't have to figure out it, figure it out on their own. And um, I've been focusing on this ever since. Wow. And so you're not just somebody that talks about it, that did research. You actually did it. That's your research. That's your, your best. I love that your dad 
taught you about the fundamentals of customer service. My parents did the same, but what I really love is the story you just told us that when he decided to retire, people lined up three blocks to say goodbye. And I would imagine there were some tears as well, both on your father's side and on some of those families and parents of kids they were buying shoes for and people that came in to buy shoes. Am I right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he put the first pair of shoes on a generation of children and their children's children. And and not only that, you know, I'm all Italian, which you may or may not know, but he'd be cooking up his sausage and garlic in the back. And if you were hungry, man, you got to buy your food along with your pair of shoes. <laughs> That's outstanding. And, you know, I wrote an article that went something, I can't remember the exact title, but it was, a, it was titled, Would Your Customers Cry If You Told Them You Were Retiring? And uh, a friend of mine, Giovanni Lavera's father, who was a uh-huh. barber, uh, after I don't know how many years of cutting people's hair, he announced his retirement, and people cried. It was the last time they were going to sit in his chair and get a haircut from this guy. I almost <laughs> cried because I can remember Gio telling me this story, and it was really an emotional story, yeah. as I'm well, sure. Well, and, and that was with my dad. In fact, yeah. I tell this speech when I give keynotes, and I, I don't tell them who it was, and then I say, and that was my dad, Vincenzo Giuseppe Cristando Lombardo, Selling Buster Brown shoes in Des Plaines, Illinois. Oh, my gosh. So. Say it again. Tell me the name. I love the name. Vincenzo Giuseppe Cristando Lombardo. You know, you could use each one of those names as, a, as the name of a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. A great Italian restaurant. So that's great. All right. So let's get into business here. We know that you are the real deal. So let's talk about, you know, something that you are very passionate about is you talk about earning the right to growth by improving customers' lives. And that's what you were doing at all of these businesses. Tell us more about what you mean by that. Sure. Well, you know, this industry, whatever you call it, I mean, back when we were doing it at Land's End, it was more about because we were imagining people's lives. I mean, we thought about the UPS man and, and how it would feel when he handed you your package with your child's Christmas gift. And that was what motivated why we grew, why we were doing what we were doing. And what's happened over the years, and you know the chef and chef, that the motivation has moved from improving customers' lives to grow to getting a survey score or these other mechanical things that have nothing to do with earning the right but rather getting loyalty or getting lift on a survey score. And I, I think that's why people aren't really prospering in this work, is that the end game is, is a score instead of improving customers' lives. And yeah, so it's a metric. We, yeah, it's a metric, this, this piece of paper. And, you know, we spend time in these meetings machinating the score or, or cross-tabbing it to get a better score. And to me, that is craziness you know i we can use survey scores to validate it at some point down the line but we need to start with you know at the end of the day you either grew your customer base or you didn't and that's your customers voting with your their feet on whether you improved their life you made their business better in b2b and you delivered an experience that's so memorable that they want to have it again and so i teach leaders to start with the growth or loss did you bring in more customers than you lost do you know the reasons why? And do you take it personally that people walked away from you? And when we can start to embed that in leadership and in driving the growth of the business and why the company steers the company in one direction or another, 
That's when things shift. That's when companies grow for reasons that are sustainable. So I had a great opportunity a few years back to interview a gentleman named Jim Bush uh, for one of the books that I wrote. Are you familiar with Jim? He is the senior vice president or executive vice president worldwide customer service for, and actually it should be member service, for American Mm -hmm. Express. And he threw all the metrics out except for one, and that was Mm -hmm. the net promoter score question. And mm-hmm. he told the people on the phone, and by the way, he had a, fa- a really fascinating approach. He said, you know, we can hire people with uh, phone skills who've worked in, in uh, inbound telemarketing and customer service centers before. He says, but the best people we hire are people from the hospitality industry, people that worked in hotels and restaurants yeah. and even retail stores selling and dealt with people. So I thought that was a pretty cool uh, idea to begin with. But what he said is, is, I don't care how long it takes on the phone. You've got to make our members happy. And at the end of the day, the only way we know for sure is if if they're willing to take the survey and just say, would you recommend us to a friend or a family member mm-hmm. or a colleague? We want that score to be high. And it became yeah. so important to him. that and, and you mentioned it just a moment ago. You said leadership has to buy into this. So yeah. he made his compensation bonus plan based on the scores that the front line were delivering. Now, think about mm-hmm. that. So he said, I'm going to put yeah. my money where my mouth is. I'm not just going to tell him to do it, but I'm going to get paid based on the fact that they are. Now, tell me he doesn't have a vested interest in making sure that they do the job necessary to make their members happy. And whether they're changing lives or not, but if I call and I've got a question, I want it to be great. Uh, I, want the, right. I want it to be easy. Um, I just talked with GoDaddy today about a question. And uh-huh. why do they make it easy? Uh, people yeah. are just so friendly. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I agree with that. What I what I'm trying to do too, though, is beyond talking about the survey score, is the actual customer behavior. So for me, this is: did they actually stay with you versus what they say they're going to do in their survey score? So this is, you know, if you brought and I like leaders to use whole numbers. You know, for example, in American Express, that's a business where these whole numbers are going to really knock somebody's socks off. We brought in a hundred thousand customers, volume and value. But we lost 75,000 customers' volume and value. And then let's do the math between the number new and the number lost. So we know the net growth. This is what customers actually behaved like. The survey is what they say they're going to do or what they might do or what they feel. Let's start with, did we earn the right to grow? What did they really do? So, And, and um, that does lead to another number, but the number is based on behavior, not just based on an opinion somebody gave you after an experience. Ding, ding, ding. It's the long yeah. term, which uh, yeah. I think that's a great way of looking at it. Uh, awesome, awesome. So we're going to talk about customer Chief Customer Officer 2.0. This is the... Uh- redo if you want to call it that the update no it's not even an update you said it's basically brand new material is that right it is all new all new material so first thing i want you to do because the book doesn't come out uh well actually comes out really soon but i want you to buy not just this book i want you to buy the old book right because it's different yeah and the dog book yeah they all kind of go together yes the dog book yeah i love the title of the dog book tell us the title the title of the dog book is i i love you more than my dog and the, uh, the, the part that comes after that is five decisions that drive or extreme customer loyalty in good times and bad. Mm-hmm. So, you, wow. So if I could get a, a client 
to love doing business with me more than they love their own dog. How powerful is that? Yeah, no, it's um, it's really crazy and fantastic. And the idea behind it is all around in the world of social media, that's how companies are going to grow. The best companies are going to grow because their customers love them. You know, social media and the engagement and the interactivity uh, that you have with your customers uh, takes the experience to a whole nother level. So in a moment, we're going to talk about your book, but really quickly, there's a great subtitle to it. It's a little bit long, so I'm going to let you tell us what it is. Oh, the new book, yes. It's How to Build Your Customer-Driven Growth Engine. How to Build Your Customer-Driven Growth Engine. And the title of the book is CCO, which is Chief Customer Officer, 2.0. We're going to talk right. about that book. We're going to talk about the five competencies that are outlined in the new book when we come back in just a moment. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio. I'll be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here. We are back on Amazing Business Radio. We're talking with Jean Bliss, and we are going to be talking about her new book, CCO 2.0, Chief Customer Officer 2.0, How to Build Your Customer-Driven Growth Engine. Wow, that's a, a powerful statement. So you talk about these five competencies, and you call them competencies. What are they, and, and why do you call them competencies? Well, let's start with why I call them competencies, because everybody and their brother thinks about this work reactively. The survey scores come out, let's react. Research does a research project, let's react. An executive goes out in the field and hears something and we react. And all of the work to be customer-centric and grow as a result of it is, is, is an outcome of reactions versus embedding a way of doing business that creates a way for the leadership team to talk about the customer, a way to drive accountability, a way to be evergreen, informed, and a way to drive focus inside of the organization. Without that, the work will continue to be reactive. And that's why I call them competencies, because we need to embed them and also not embed them as work layered on top of the regular work, but embed them into part of the regular work, part of annual planning, part of how people are compensated, how you roll out a new product to the field. These, these competencies need to be embedded. So the competencies are less reactive. They're part of the DNA of a company. They're part of the culture, uh, which That's means right. you are probably, if you're doing this right, and, and we'll find out what these competencies are, competencies are in just a moment, but if you're doing it right, you're probably going to cut down on problems that customers have, questions and support issues that they might have. Uh, that might be well, a nice spot. Right. And over Yes, absolutely, it, and it will reduce your dependency on surveys because you're going to have lots of other ways to get information. You know, you'll be able to reduce your survey score addiction, I call it, um, and it will create a new way of, to your point, solving things but also figuring out where you can innovate. So um, when you're ready, I'll run you through that. I, I want to hear about them right now. Let's start with number one. Okay, so number one was the first question that we talked about, which was, Honoring and managing customers as the asset of the business. What this means is giving leaders a new language set, a very simple way of articulating 
if we delivered experience right, if we delivered memories, if we delivered value, how do we, what's our indicator? And it is, you know, did we bring in more customers than we lost? What is our new customers? What are our lost customers? And what are other two or three other behavioral traits that customers took that indicate if our relationship with us, them strengthening or loosening? And the importance of this is the transparent and fearless sharing of this as a united leadership team. So, for example, every organization has a sales force. Sometimes they're protectionists around that information. Information. What a company might call a new customer is divvied up or, or interpreted in every different silo differently. Unless we get our arms around those definitions and how we identify the growth and loss of the customer, we can never roll this up. That's why we depend on other indicators, such as surveys or reactionary measures, when in fact we should really be starting with, as a result of the experience, what did customers do? Did they stay? Did they go? Did they behaviorally connect more with us? Wow. The other piece of that, and I'll stop there to see if that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense to me. And, and it's simple, right? There's no refuting it. There's no regression analysis. You either brought in more than you lost or you didn't. You either kept more than you brought in or you didn't. Right, but and simple doesn't mean is, easy. Yeah, right? Because we've overcomplicated what success means. Now, surveys have that right, their rightful place. I'm going to talk about it in a minute. But they shouldn't, to me, be where we always where we lead or start with. Because we need to care about the life. We need to take it personally. And that's where honor comes in. If the customer really is the asset of our business, are we going to do anything or some things to threaten or question their integrity? You know, as we're doing a contracting process with a B2B client, is there so many rules and regulations and plugs that we put in that protect us from them that we start that relationship wrong? If you've got a, a really important lifetime customer who comes in and needs something a little special, are you going to pull out your policy cop rules and regulations and tell them down to the nano whatever what it is and how much you're going to charge them for it? Or are you going to recognize their value and honor it and take care of them? And well, so that has to be embedded. Um, one of the things that we do with this is, is, is something that I love. It's called Kill a Stupid Rule Campaign, which is if we're going to really honor customers as assets, we need to identify where we're not honoring them now because of the dumb legacy rules that we've created over the years that are a pain for the front line and really say to the customers, well, they don't really care about me. All they care about are their numbers. Right. You focus on the customer and the numbers will come. And not only that, so many of those rules are made made for the one or, or even less than 1%, if not even a, a fraction of 1% of bad customers. Yeah, I just went into a restaurant, and this is, this is going to simplify everything, and then we'll look at, at, at uh, competency number two. I just went sure. into a restaurant, and I ordered a hamburger to go. And this is a fancy restaurant. They've got the best hamburger. It's juicy. It's delicious. And they said, we don't make those to go anymore. Why? Okay. One day, a customer came in and ordered, because they're such reasonably priced, this is a really expensive steakhouse, and I guess they take meat and grind it up and make the most incredible burgers, and he says, one of our customers came in and abused this. And I said, what did oh. they do? Well, they, they it wasn't so much the first time, it was the second, third time we realized it was a habit, so we just made a rule, no more carryouts. They were buying a bunch of hamburgers, and you know, it isn't a big item for them, and, and so I said, so let me get this right. I said to the manager, I said, so you're going to penalize 
all of the other customers. I come in here on a regular basis. I usually sit at the bar. My wife's not feeling good. I'm hungry. I came here to get something to go. And uh, he goes, I get it. And I said, you're penalizing everybody for the sins of one. And he, he thought about it. And he goes, you're right. He says, you know what? You can have your hamburger to go. You can have it as often as you want. And from now on, we're going to give our hamburgers to go, even to that guy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I made impact here today. But, no, really, he, he decided to become customer-focused instead of operations-focused. Yep. Well, and you, you hit the nail on the head, Chef. One of the things I, I say, which is what you said, in, in other words, is we, in business, they create, create the majority of the rules to protect them from the minority of the people. Hence your concept of kill a stupid rule. All right, what's number two competency? Okay, so number two is a line around the customer experience or around the journey, meaning even in its simplest form, don't have your leaders go around the table in the CEO's meeting or whatever and say, marketing, what are you doing? Sales, what are you doing? Operations, what are you doing? But instead, map out the stages of the journey from the customer's point of view and get clear about what your customer's trying to accomplish in each stage. And now drive accountability and the conversations. This is, you know, Chef, this is as much about uniting leaders to all being moving in the same direction and talking and asking in the same way as it is about anything else. And that's what know, the role Yeah, that's what the role of the chief customer officer is. It's to unite all of these silos or different groups and departments and people and bring them together. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the the big aha moments of my job when I had it in these companies was I need to unite these leaders to get on the same page so that the employees don't get one message from one and one from another because that's why we can't move forward because there's so many, you know, derivations uh, on, on these themes. So yeah. this is about, let's ask from the customer's life standpoint. The other thing is, this isn't about the shiny object of journey mapping. This is to come, woo, the thing everybody wants to do. And what happens is people have sessions, lots of post-it notes, and they're in a binder. Or then they bring in somebody and they map the process of all 240 touch points or moments of truth or whatever. And now people's eyes are rolled into the back of their head. They're completely overwhelmed. They're like, what are we going to do with this? It's crazy land. So um, the other piece of this is focusing. You know, at Land's End, we had 227 moments of truth or touch points. We knew 10 to 15 were the most critical. Inside of almost every business, in every kind of vertical I work with, manufacturing, product, staff companies, hospitality, there's usually 10 to 15 that your customers care the most about. Focus on those first. Use those as the place to unite all those silos to deliver to the customer's objectives. So all of these competencies that I teach are around culturally uniting leaders, changing the way they drive accountability, but also then embedding the competency operationally. Because you can't do one without the other. If you're only embedding operationally, it's just a technical exercise and you're not gonna transform the business. So alignment is crucial. Number three. Alignment and changing the talk track to be about the customer journey, not the report out by silo. Right. I don't want to cut you off because that was an important. You don't report out by silo. You become an alignment. You become unified is what you're saying. Yeah. And even getting a simple across the company agreement on the names of the stages. 
Because, you know, you'll say, um, sales will say, oh, we have journey stages. Well, it's the sales process. Marketing will say, we have our stages. Well, it's the acquisition cycle. Claims, well, we have stages, but they're internally driven. In the new book, I actually have an exercise, which is how to write customer-centric journey stage names versus company-centric journey stage names. The company-centric names are names that are about what we want to get from customers. The customer-centric journey names are what customers are trying to achieve in each one. The total focus is on the customer. Uh, love it. Yeah. Love it. All right, number three, because we can talk about each one of these for an hour, but we, we don't have quite that much time. We'll do number three. We'll take a short break, come back and do a couple more, and I've got a couple other follow-up important questions that I think our listeners are going to want to know about. That, and I'll try to be swifter, too. So number three is building a customer listening path, meaning uniting all the feedback you get from customers so that every silo isn't reacting to it, and instead organizing it by stage of the customer journey. Again, so you're telling the story. Enable people in your company to be the storyteller of customers' lives. Unite that voluntary feedback, complaint trending, and other things. Unite experiential information that you make your leadership walk through to feel and experience the customers' lives. Unite your social media. And then at the end of it, yes, put your survey data, but it's the end of a story of a lot of other sources of information. So you've got the galvanizing force of convergence of a lot of different pieces of feedback telling you the same thing versus going off just on the survey score. So it's tell the story of customers' lives by aggregating information, but organizing it by stage of that journey. You know, and, and it's data in a sense, but it's not overwhelming data. It's And the way you do it and the way you break it down and the way you say, okay, this is coming from this customer and it's appropriate for this particular area to be looking at it. I think it's important for all of us to understand what the feedback is, but the way we use that feedback is crucial. And I think that's the other lesson is just you – you know, don't just look at analytics. Don't just look at numbers. And that was back to your very, very first point. If all you're doing is looking at numbers, it's just numbers. Look at the feedback. Right. Look at what the customer's saying. Look at how you're impacting them. And that's right. And and hang up as you're as you're showing that complaints have spiked because of the order form. Put up the picture of the order form. Physically have your leaders try to fill it out. Because we need to step through the shoes of the customers. Listening isn't just data. It's feeling. It's experiencing. And it's taking people on, I call it the broken mind meld, of having to understand what we put our customers through that will finally drive action. Wow. Great information. We're listening to Jean Bliss. She is talking about the Chief Customer Officer 2.0, her newest book. And this is Amazing Business Radio, and we'll be right back, so don't go away. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Jean Bliss about her newest book, CCO 2.0. So we're talking about the five competencies, and we've already talked about three. What's number four? Competency number four is proactive experience, reliability, and innovation. And what this means, Shep, is if you know the top 10 to 15 touch points or intersection points in your customers' lives, you should also unite your silos to build one or two important metrics that your customers care about. So if you're at a hotel, is it check-in time or 
the number of rooms that are clean or whatever it is. And this is part of the storytelling. It's let's not wait for the survey results to know if we failed or delivered. We know because we're holding a mirror to ourselves and we're tracking those things that are most important to our company. And our leaders now care about those 10 to 15 metrics as we traverse the customer journey of our personal operation with as much rigor as they ask about meeting sales goals or new sales or EBITDA because where our performance in those operational areas go, so does our long-term customer growth. Wow. And number five. Number five is one company leadership and accountability, meaning what are we doing to enable our employees to deliver value? As we go across those stages of the journey, what's getting in the way of employees to deliver value? Are we asking and getting rid of the roadblocks? And are we, there's a lot in here, but the other big point is, are we, how are we driving accountability? One of the big challenges is we put all the survey score data or whatever in, in well-meaning dashboards, and then every silo cherry-picks their own thing. One of the great things we do here is we hold a customer room on a monthly basis. We bring all the leaders together. We tell the story of the customers' lives. We see the top five or six emerging issues come out. We can only work on three, but the leaders collectively as a unit pick them. The leaders collectively identify and give the resources, and then the leaders collectively hold those cross-functional teams accountable month by month and also give them a big, shiny spotlight. So there's rigor reliability, reward, and enabling employees. That's all built in there. There's lots of tools to, to um, enable people to do all this in the book. Wow. I mean, we're getting an MBA from you right now in uh, how to be a chief customer officer. This is great information. You know, one of the things I think crucial is just you, you go through that journey map. Uh, everybody sees that front line, or that that you know, the, the touch points, if you will, or those moments of truth. What's happening behind the scenes, a lot of people don't recognize where they play a part in it, and I think it's so important. I call those impact points, behind the scenes, you know, yep. uh, moments or responsibilities that will impact that frontline experience. And I'm going to venture to say, and I think you'll agree with me, that every single person in a company has impact on the customer, be it on the front line or behind the scenes. There's not one person that escapes from this. And if they do, their job is going to be obsolete, if not already. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we have um, touchpoint mapping sessions where we bring the janitors or the landscaping people of buildings in because that's the first impression. Right, That's right? And, and people don't see it. The guy says, all I do is cut the lawn. No, you don't, or cut you know, or, or you know, cut the grass outside of the building. That's 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 the what your actual job function, if you right. want to say, you know, you're supposed to do that. But really, what's the impact of your job? If you don't do your job, people are going to walk through our doors and go, "Huh, what's with this company? They must, yep. you know, what what other detail are they missing? What other? Where else are they sloppy?" And that's uh, right. Total congruency in the attitude of, I wouldn't say perfection, but excellence is, is a good way of putting it. And Yeah, I like to call it, I love that word congruent. I'm glad you brought it up. I call it congruence of heart and habit. There you go. Well, yeah. So in preparation for this book, you shared mm -hmm. that you interviewed 40 different CCOs. Mm-hmm. I did. It was fantastic. And that, that took a lot of time, I would imagine, a lot of effort. And, and some of the companies represented in the book, uh, what are they? 
Barney's, Walgreens, um, SAP, um, St. Jude Children's Hospitals, um, many, many, almost every vertical. There's a, um, a company who was my client, um, MSA. They're the world's largest supplier of hard hats. Um, wow. That's a specialty. We have many, many different countries. Yes, because what we're finding is every vertical in both B2B and B2C, everybody's got silos. And everybody's recognizing, look, we've been trying to do this for years and years. We need to have somebody uniting all of us, at least for a period of time, so that we can figure out how to work this way differently. So on all these great uh, people that you interviewed, give us one or two amazing nuggets that you yourself learned from these people. Sure. You know, one of the, one of the fun ones, and, and, you know, this is something that people are really grasping now, is... It's it's not enough to say we found the big moments and we're going to work on them, and two years later we're going to have a result. So, for example, what Alaska Airlines does, um, Curtis over there, who runs innovation and customer experience improvement, they are agile. So this whole idea of being agile, and they've taken a a page out of startups, and they they build two pizza teams. So they find a customer issue, they build a two pizza team. They have a, a laboratory in the airport at SeaTac in Seattle, and they go out, they build it within a month or so. They've got, they've got the implementation of a new process going. Wow. So I found that to be very fantastic and wonderful, especially when these projects tend to get so large. I love the agility of that. And, you know, and you're watching a pretty nice-sized company put something into action, and you said it took less than a month to get it out there? Depending on the project, yeah. The, that's the whole agility notion, right? That, that's you know, pretty big for a large company. I mean, pretty quick for a large company. Yep. Yeah, that's... Another one I love, it comes from MSA, who's a company I worked with for, uh, for for the past year. They, as I mentioned, are they're called the safety company. They, for example, provided the um, helmets um, that the mariner, the, 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 the um, miners were wearing, you know, in a big mining accident. They provide safety equipment around the world for any kind of industry. And um, what they did for their front line was they have a, you know, the front line had all, all kinds of rules and regulations about what they could do, when they could send out samples, how much they could spend. Well, they created something called the virtual wallet, which is, and, and they trained everybody on it, but it's saying, look, we trust you. You know the volume or the asset of this customer that you're working with. And so here is a kit bag of all kinds of options. You dip into your virtual wallet as much as you need to take care of the customer. You don't need to keep asking for permission. I love that. I love it when, and that was one of the things that came to mind, and I believe it was in, it might have been in your first uh, competency where I thought to myself, well, in order for this to work, the organization has to empower the employees to deliver on what, exactly. what we want to achieve with our customers. Right. That's right. And, and that's why, you know, companies who are brave enough to do a kill a stupid rule campaign, Chef, it does so much because, it, you know, a lot of these rules just have been existing for years and years. Some have been created by the middle to protect their own metrics, right? But what it says to the employees who are struggling, because they're trying to create good service delivery, but they're having to work around these, it says, look, you identify them. We're going to honor you for identifying. We're not going to get mad. We're going to work on them. And then when they're solved, we're going to give you a reward for it. People will throw a parade in your honor as a leadership team if you have the bravery to say, we got stupid rules, help us get rid of them. 
Wow, and to follow up with that, and it's not quite as much fun as the stupid rule idea, but the whole concept of one to say yes and two to say no, you should, just as with that virtual wallet where they have all these tools at their disposal, we should give the tool of intelligence or, or actually uh, assuming in t- intelligence of the people we work with to do the right thing, to do the right job. When you hear that the Ritz-Carlton allows housekeepers to spend up to $2,000 to make yeah. a guest happy. And by the way, you've got to understand, it's not like I just paid $300 for a room. I'm going to get something to get the housekeeper to give me 2000 That's not it. The housekeepers know what they should spend based on the value of the customer. And you've, That's right. you've empowered them to do it. Uh, you know, Ace Hardware, who I wrote about in my last book, says to their, their associates, hey, if you need to say no to a customer, you need to come to me to get permission to do it. Otherwise, figure out a way to say yes. <laughs> you know, it's not a rule. It's a guideline, you know, and you've got, you've got, you know, you can lean either side, you know, it just, you don't have to go straight down the middle. It's perfect. Well, that's right, and, and this notion of knowing who you're about to tick off is really important. You know, I, I, I tell a story how, you know, you and I both have millions and millions of miles with these airlines, right? Right. I walked in, I lost my card for the, you know, the lounge, and I said to the poor young lady at the front, it's not her fault that she had to deliver this message, I said, you know, I need a new card. She, said, she looked straight at me, and she said, that'll be $35, please. Wow. Um, I'm like, oh, you poor thing. I, you know, I've tried really hard not to, you know, we really, especially us, this is the world we live in. We can't hurt the messenger, but that is just a crazy rule. Yeah, I'll be happy to pay you the $35, and let's see what happens when it comes time for renewal. Exactly, right? Yep. Boy, they sometimes they just miss the point. Well, we're going to start to wrap up here, and as we do, I want you to tell us how we can get a copy of your book. Well, it is uh, Chief Customer Officer 2.0. It's available right now on Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, and 800-CEO Read. You can also go to my blog, which is ccocoach.com, and click on the book, and it'll take you right to the ordering page. Wow. So I urge everybody that is interested in creating a great customer experience, or as I like to say, an amazing customer experience to do not pass go, do not collect $200, go straight to either the website, ccocoach.com, which is Gene's blog site, or go straight to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, CEO Read, get this book. It's powerful. You know, you write at a really uh, high level. This is not, I mean, this is serious information for any business that's serious about taking care of their customers. Gene, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to be on our show today. Uh, Thank Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I just love talking to you, Chef. Well, you're awesome. You really are. And this is why we call this Amazing Business Radio, because once again, we've gotten some great, amazing information from an amazing person. My name's Shep Hyken, and you are listening to Amazing Business Radio. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to the next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.